I want to take you back, way back, to a few weeks ago, the dog days of summer. Back then, we thought we knew how the NBA's Eastern Conference was going to look. Dame Lillard was going to get traded to the Heat, boosting the conference champs back to the finals. The Celtics were going to retool with Kristaps Porzingis. And the Milwaukee Bucks were going to run it back with a new coach and much of the same roster they won the championship with two years ago. Maybe that happened in some other part of the multiverse, but here, here the NBA follows its own script. Dame Lillard wound up in Milwaukee, who essentially sent Drew Holiday to Boston. And now we have two mega powers in the East on a collision course to see who's heading to the finals in a few months. A Bucks Celtics playoff showdown seems inevitable, but is it that simple? Today, Brian Windhorst is here for part two of our NBA preview, where we break down this new Eastern Conference rivalry and explore whether or not Philadelphia can realistically overcome the drama that is James Harden and make their own run at the crown. I'm David Dennis Jr. It's Wednesday, October 25th. This is ESPN Daily. Delicious meat nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot, taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is not only are wonderful pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. Okay, Brian, we're back for day two of our NBA preview. We talked about the Western Conference on yesterday's show. Today, we'll focus on the East where most teams are starting to play tonight. And as I said in the open, things are very, very top-heavy. Entire conversation revolves around the Milwaukee Bucks and the Boston Celtics. Tell me how you're sizing up the race for the Eastern Conference right now. Well, it's such a unique situation where we have basically an indirect trade. The Dame Lillard trade, which was designed to get the Bucks over the hump, basically led to their number one rival in the East improving. Uh, with Drew Holiday getting rerouted there. And, you know, certainly they didn't know that when they traded Drew Holiday to the Blazers that he was going to be a Celtic. But they had to know that Drew Holiday wasn't going to stay in Portland. And they had to know that Boston was a real option there because with the moment that I saw Drew Holiday on the market, one of the first teams I thought of was the Celtics. Two years ago, we really got an epic series between those two teams 
It was a seven-game series. Bucks Celtics came down to a, a Sunday afternoon game seven in Boston that the Celtics were able to win and go to the finals. Uh, the Bucks will fall short as the Boston Celtics advance to the Eastern Conference Finals, winning four games to three in a classic series between two terrific teams. Last year, we thought we were getting it again. We thought we were getting a rematch, and then the Bucks, you know, washed out in the first round, and the team that beat them, the Heat, end up facing the Celtics and what ended up being another wild seven-game series with the Heat prevailing. I do think that the Bucks and the Celtics are the best teams uh, in the East. I expect them to be at each other all year, and the Drew Holiday component really makes it fascinating because... While I do believe the Bucks improved by making that Dame Lillard trade, how could you not acquiring a top 75 all-time player, one of the best players ever to play point guard in the history of the game, an ideal pick-and-roll partner for Giannis Tenacumpo that should alleviate their biggest weakness over the recent years, which is crunch time offense, half-court under-pressure offense, one of the best half-court under-pressure players we've ever seen. But their opponents improved. And so the chances for the Bucks against the rest of the league may have increased significantly with that trade, but their chances against the Celtics arguably may have been flat, if not maybe even incrementally in the Celtics' favor because historically one of the best defensive players against Dame Lillard in the league has been Drew Holiday. So look, we've got six months between now and that potential matchup. There's all kinds of things that could happen. It's very hard to sit here and you know really try to prognosticate it out. But the relationship between the Bucks and the Celtics is so complex and interwoven, and uh, you know they seem like they're on a crash course to me. Yeah, I mean, and also, I mean, you, you sort of mentioned the the Drew Dame matchup, I and mean, we can't forget that. Drew sort of took Dame's lunch money a few years ago when the uh, Pelicans swept that Portland team in, in the playoffs in the first round, which is something I think, you know, sort of rings for for both of them even now. But I do want to hone in a little bit on, you know, Drew had that Anthony Davis help now. Now Dame has the sort of generational MVP type talent on his side now. And you mentioned it a little bit, how is Dame making Giannis's life easier uh, and vice versa that you're going to see through the season? All right, so schematically, you know, without getting it too much X's and O's, Lillard has never played with another player who would command a double team. Obviously, he's played with some talented players. Uh, C.J. McCollum, very talented player. He's played with LaMarcus Aldridge, very talented player. But the idea of the attention that Giannis draws is humongous. And so the ability for the two of them to play off each other, whether it's in a straight you know, two-man game where there's a, a screen and a roll and a pick and a pop and things like this, or where Giannis is on one side of the floor, Lillard's on the other, it really stresses out the defense. One of the things that we often see, one of the great traits of Giannis's ability is that when he pulls down a defensive rebound, he can go run the offense. This is something that is so valuable in the modern NBA. You know, it's one of the things that has made the Warriors so tough when you have a guy like Draymond Green who can pick a rebound off and go down and be the point guard. It's one of the things that's made LeBron James so terrific. One of the all-time leading rebounders in the history of the game, one of the all-time leading assist men. Those are related. 
And so the idea that Giannis can come down off of a rebound, go and start the offense, and Dame can set up off the ball, this is a nightmare for teams, especially in transition. So last year, the Milwaukee Bucks finished 15th, dead middle of the pack in offense. And in crunch time offense, end-of-game situations where the teams could get set against Giannis, it was very difficult at times for them. And this has been a thorn in their side for a while. You would now have this dynamic where they can play off each other, and Giannis becomes even more dangerous as a sort of transition point guard after rebounds. I mean, the first game they played together, Giannis played like 22 minutes, had seven defensive rebounds, and I think brought the ball up six of those times. The devastating nature of just that basic upgrade. Forget about what Dame can do as an individual player, as an isolation player. The fact that he can shoot easily to 30 feet, etc. Just that schematic advantage with those two in the same half court together is what makes them so compelling. I do think that they will give up some defensively. They will not be as good of a defensive team. They've been a top five defensive team pretty regularly. I think it's going to be harder to stay up there for them but they're going to fall out of bed and be a top five offensive team. And we've already seen Giannis and Dame talk a little bit about what it's like to play with each other and the space that it generates. I think we're going to see that theme continue as the season goes along. So let's move over to the team that, you know, was on the other side of the sort of indirect trade, as you mentioned. Drew Holiday is in Boston. They've had an incredibly busy offseason. They committed to Jalen Brown long-term. He got the Supermax. Jason Tatum's due for one pretty soon. How sustainable is this Celtics championship window with this roster as we currently know it? Yeah, when you talk to people at the Celtics, they discuss basically this two-year window they've got right now. Now, they've been a competitor for the title, really, for the last six years. You know, some years they've been closer than others. They've only made one finals appearance in there, but they've been at the top of the East in the conference finals repeatedly right there. And this is sort of the peak of this run. And the reason it's a two-year window is that Jalen Brown's $300 million contract kicks in starting next year. And Jason Tatum is already qualified to get that same Supermax. They're going to offer it, and I expect him to sign it. And that will kick in in two years. So in two years, the two of those players will be making $110 million, give or take, between them per season. So it's unclear whether the Celtics are going to be able to afford to keep this group together for longer than two years. So really, this is the window, this two-year window, and they have made decisions accordingly. They have traded multiple first-round picks away to build this roster up, and they made a command decision after last season. Last season, they obviously had the trauma of Joe Mazzula replacing Ime Udoka just days before the start of training camp. But that team was a team that was very guard-heavy. They had traded for Derek White the year before. And to put their best team on the floor, they had to put out mostly guards. And Joe Mazzula ended up playing only one traditional big man at a time for huge stretches of the season. And that wasn't the way they made the finals the year before. The year before, they made the finals playing their two best defensive big men, Robert Williams and Al Horford together. That's what worked. That's what ultimately beat Milwaukee. That's what gave the Warriors some problems. That's the way they were designed to be built. And Missoula didn't want to play that way because that wasn't his best team. He wanted Marcus Smart and Derek White out there with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And he played that way for most of the year. And as a result, they suffered defensively. 
And when they got into the playoffs against Philadelphia, they got behind in that series because they had difficulty defending. They also had turnover problems, but they had difficulty defending. And it wasn't until they were in trouble in that series when Joe Mazzullo finally went back to that double big lineup that they were rescued from that series. And so they went into this offseason and said, we have got to enable ourselves to play big. And they made a huge trade, okay, and traded Marcus Smart, one of the heart and souls of that team, for Chris Porzingis, trading a guard for a big man. More than that, a big man who could shoot threes. And this year, they want to threaten the all-time record for the Houston Rockets of about 45 threes a game that they took back in 2018-19. And they thought they could do that with Porzingis. They got together as a team before training camp started and had practices. They had meetings. They went over film. They had this big understanding of this is the way they were going to want to play. And then, wham, Drew Holiday lands in their lap. Drew Holiday ends up being available a week before the season. There was no way that they could have foreseen that. I mean, even as they anticipated what could happen with Dame Lillard, there was no way they could have foreseen the set of circumstances that landed Drew Holiday. And they had to trade away one of their big men defensive, you know, stalwart Robert Williams to do it. So now they're back with more guards than they wanted to have, and they're sort of a little bit guard heavy. So the question is, how do they arrange their team? How does Joe Missoula play? Uh, and he's rotated his lineup throughout the preseason. Not so much, I think, to, you know, hide what he's doing, but I think out of experimentation. They are going to have some challenges to find the best mix and the best scheme that takes advantage of something that they really weren't given much time to prepare for. All right, so I'm not going to ask you to handicap the series between Boston and Milwaukee, pick who's going to win or anything like that. But I do kind of want to know, what are you looking out for these teams in the first part of the season to sort of assure that this is the collision course that we're expecting? Yeah, I think uh, Milwaukee is going to have to work through some scar tissue, if you will. Chris Middleton really wasn't able to do much over the summer. He had a uh, knee surgery, and he's just now at the end of... The, the preseason guiding, getting back on the floor. So they're going to have to, you know, work him back in. The second thing is you have a brand new head coach with Adrian Griffin, first year coach, first time coach. And right out of the gate, he's already had to deal with pretty significant change to the way he's going to play. And a change to his coaching staff is Terry Stotts, his lead assistant, who was being depended on to be a huge key in, um, you know, integrating Dame Lillard because he was Dame's head coach for years in Portland, resigned. Um, and we don't have 100% clarity on that yet, but I don't think it was because things were going great. I think that there was some issues there within the coaching staff. So let's see how they handle that and how Adrian Griffin handles some stresses as with huge expectations. And somewhat of a similar situation for the Celtics. Somebody is not going to start who should be a starter. That I think it's either going to be Al Horford or Drew Holiday. I think they're going to be highly successful. I think they're going to rack up wins. But making sure everybody gets comfortable within their role, because Al Horford has said in the past he really wants to start. So, you know, both teams kind of have a bit of rough edges to work off. Okay, Brian, after the break, let's turn to the James Harden-sized problem in Philadelphia. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. 
And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you people wait until the last minute. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first one or for your fashionista mom who likes to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas that you can easily pick out something special to celebrate with them both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to, say, 100 bucks and below. You can also sort by category, like fragrance, handbags, and more, or gift lists, like for the mom who has everything, or even pre-wrapped gifts for grandma. Find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung smart TVs. So, what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th, and it'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. So we're going from the teams uh, made the biggest offseason moves to a team that cannot make a move at all right now, and that's Philadelphia. So we talked ad nauseum about their situation on this show with James Harden. He's demanded a trade, called GM Daryl Morey a liar, said the relationship is beyond repair, skipped the first couple of days of camp, then showed up, then started skipping practice again. What is going on in Philadelphia with the team and James Harden? Well, James Harden wants to be traded, and ideally he wants to be traded to a team where he wants to be and who has a chance to re-sign him. And he's decided that's going to be the LA Clippers, although I think theoretically there could be some other teams down the line. And when he opted into that contract, uh, which was this last year of a contract, he did so with the expectation he was going to be traded. Again, I know it's counterintuitive that a player signs a document that says, okay, I'm going to play next year for this team. But what he was really doing there was saying, I'm done in Philadelphia. And I think he's very frustrated that he hasn't gotten what he's wanted. And there's a, a very complex series of reasons why he hasn't got what he's wanted. But one of the basic reasons is, is that there isn't a market. There isn't a number of teams making offers to Philly, so therefore they can't get the price that they want. There's basically only one team, the Clippers, who have made, you know, a series of offers to Philadelphia, but none that have met the Sixers' standard. And so, you know, you'd you'd think in common sense that if a player was sitting back and seeing that teams weren't really wanting to trade for him and not bending over to try to sign him, that that would be humbling. But that is not how James Harden has seen it. He has seen it as enabling. And frankly, I don't blame him because at various points in his career, when he hasn't gotten what he's wanted, he's made power moves like this and he's gotten what he's wanted. All the way back to when he was with the Oklahoma City Thunder. He wanted a max contract when he was uh, coming off his third year. The Thunder didn't want to give it to him. They offered him less. He said, no, I'm not signing it. I'll leave in free agency. And they traded him to Houston within hours. He signed that max contract. When he was tired of being in Houston, he said, I want to be traded. There was some drama there, but he ultimately was able to get what he wanted to Brooklyn. When he wanted to leave Brooklyn, 
He only wanted to go to Philadelphia. He basically quit playing on a you know mid-season road trip to the West Coast. He basically quit playing and he got what he wanted. He got to Philadelphia. So why would he not do that same thing and not get what he wants now? He's had a track record of doing it. So what you have here on the other side is the 76ers who are a contending team. They're trying to win the title this year. They have the MVP, Joel Embiid, in his prime on their roster. This is not a transitional season. They are trying to win it. So they can't trade him for pieces and parts. They can't just trade him for draft picks. They need players or the pathway to players that can help them be competitive right now. So you put all of that into a blender, and what you have is an old-fashioned standoff. And that's essentially where we've been with a few wiggles back and forth since late June. All right, Magic 8 Ball, what is your best guess? How was this drama in Philadelphia get resolved? I think James Harden, by leaving the team, has made it clear he's not going to play for them, and I think he will eventually end up being traded. I wouldn't have advised that. I would have advised him playing because I think the best way of him to get traded or the best chance of him to get paid, which is at the bedrock of all of this, is to play for the Sixers, even if that was meant getting paid by the Sixers at the end of this year. But he is very clearly elected not to go that route. All right, so what does this team actually look like without James Harden? Can a team of Joel Embiid and would basically mouse a bunch of role players, all respect to Maxi, contend in the East? Well, I have good news and bad news for the Sixers fans. There's maybe no other team in the league that could lose an all-star level point guard like James Harden, who led the league in assists last year, and have as great of a replacement sitting there as Tyrese Maxey. Even the Golden State Warriors, who if they lost Steph Curry would have Chris Paul, I think at this point in their careers, Tyrese Maxey is a potentially one of the most exciting players in the Eastern Conference. He is primed to have a breakout season. His teammates and the coaches have um, complimented him on how good he's looked in the in the preseason. And he is actually ready, I think, to even potentially be an all-star himself in replacement of Harden. And so I think the Sixers, who also signed Patrick Beverly to their roster, knowing that they might have an issue of point guard, who's a quality backup, I think the Sixers are as well-positioned as they can be to recover from losing Harden. What they can't do is lose Harden for nothing. And so with where they're at now, with Tobias Harris on their roster, with DeAnthony Melton, obviously with Embiid, I think they're a 50-win contending team. But I don't think that they can win at all unless they either have Harden or have what Harden could turn into, turn into players that can help them now. That's not just a commentary on their roster. That's a commentary on the quality of the Eastern Conference. So I think they have prepared a plan B. I just don't think plan B is what you're looking for at this stage, especially with a guy like Joel Embiid, who is very much, uh, you have to take advantage of these, of these years. So what what is these last few years? You, you have the Ben Simmons drama. You have the James Harden drama. All of this is just weighing down on Joel Embiid as an MVP and somebody's carrying this team. What does all this stuff mean for Joel Embiid and his future with Philadelphia? It means that their team has underachieved. Um, they have had a formula that could have worked, but it hasn't. And I'm telling you, last year, they're in game six against the Celtics with a 3-2 lead on their home court in a winnable game in the fourth quarter, and they have the MVP. Now, Embiid was a little bit banged up, had a knee issue earlier in the uh, playoffs. 
he had missed some games in that series. I'm not saying he was at the top of his game, but they basically needed a couple of plays from Embiid from Harden, and they're in the Eastern Conference Finals. And they're playing Miami, who they would have been favored against. And against Denver, a possible Billy matchup with Denver, they have the greatest weapon in the league against Jokic, which is Embiid. You look at them and say, well, they can't get out of the second round. They're a failure. That's a true statement. But they are not huge distance away from being right there. And that's what's got to be maddening from Embiid is that, you know, there's all these roadblocks that are getting thrown in front of him, including at times his own health. And they're still not that far away. If they could just put it together and just maximize what they have, they could do it. If you have frustrating season over frustrating season happen, it's human nature to wonder if you can put it together. So basically, regardless of the hardened situation, the Sixers cannot afford to have another disappointing year where they underachieve with Joel Embiid. That's just basic logic with where the NBA is today. Many, many thanks to Brian Windhorst for spending these last two days with us and giving us this guide to the NBA season. I'm David Dennis Jr. This has been ESPN Daily. I'll talk to you tomorrow.